Welcome back to the Search for Ithaca, a journey through the classics, the podcast that explores and discusses the great works of classical literature, an attempt to unveil the truths of humanity containing the texts that have most changed the course of civilization. Welcome back. In today's episode, we are going to discuss book three of the Odyssey, where the main themes will be maturity, suffering, hospitality, and fatherhood. Most of these we have already seen in book one and book two, and now they will just be further developed and exploring different different sides of these subject matters. Uh, just to recap, in book one and book two, uh, right now we are going to see Telemachus uh, arriving at Pylos, the city where, where uh, Nestor uh, a hero, a hero who actually fought in Troy, is the king, and he was friends with Odysseus. They were together for the 10 years of the Trojan War, and they knew each other quite well. Uh, he's actually one of the main characters in the Iliad, Nestor, and we'll talk about him as well. And uh, Telemachus right now is arriving at, at Nestor's palace, and uh, basically city, uh, as part of his journey. So he embarked on this journey, uh, to to hear uh, about his father, so as to learn whether his father is alive or not. Uh, because in book two, he promised at the assembly, he told the suitors and the whole people of Ithaca that he would uh, go on this journey so as to figure out whether his father is alive or dead. And if he finds out that he's alive, he would wait for a year. Uh, and if he does not come, then he will give... Uh, his mother Penelope into marriage to one of the suitors, and if he is dead, if Odysseus is dead, then he will be he will be giving Penelope in marriage immediately upon his return. So uh, he's traveling with this uh, with this little crew of basically young men of Ithaca that are accompanying him in this journey, and also with the figure of Mentor. Mentor is this man who we saw uh, in Book Two. Uh, intervening in the in the assembly and defending Odysseus and Telemachus's legitimacy to the household and the rule over Ithaca, and defending righteousness over the injustice that the suitors are committing. But now, however, Mentor is not Mentor. Mentor is Athena. Athena, the goddess, has taken on the shape of Mentor and is accompanying Telemachus in this journey so as to help him and help him mature and 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 truly actually helping become the man that he ought to be because as we discussed in book two of the odyssey uh they uh, the, the main objective of this journey is not quite to learn about odysseus and whether he's alive or dead but rather the gods want uh they want telemachus to go on this journey so as to learn uh and get out there into society now that he's already 20 years old at least and uh and become a man become who he ought to be so uh, right now, he is arriving, arriving at Pylos, uh, where Nestor is the king, and uh, we're going to start discussing the the topic of maturity and uh, the topic of well, basically Telemachus is coming uh, into manhood. So the first scene in the whole book is when um, is when Telemachus and his crew they arrive at the beach. They arrive at uh, they, they they sail there. And they landed on this on this beach uh, right next to the palace of Nestor. And right now, Telemachus is doubting. Telemachus is having some doubts about how how is he gonna be able to uh, to speak in public? How is he gonna be able to deal with this with this um, with this heroic king Nestor? And he's basically afraid. So this is the first time that that Telemachus is encountering such um, such sphere of society, and uh, and he's gonna need a virtue that he has never ever um, developed, 
which is this uh, this 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 speech, uh, this speech to uh, this political speech, so as to be able to deal with other kings that are that are much more honorable and and much more noble than you, and he's he's not used to it. So uh, this might seem a little weird. How? Uh, why, why is this such a big deal? But this is actually a big deal in Homer. The, the ability to, to speak is one of the main virtues of the heroes. And the Iliad, uh, even though it's, it's, a, it's a war, it's packed with, with speeches, it's packed with conversations. And you can really tell that the heroes know how to craft speeches and know how to, how to deal with one another because there are all these rules that they need to follow of, of honor, of how, of how to honor different people, how to, how to speak justly and properly about topics. And, um, and because, because these speeches are also a source of fame for the heroes, they also, uh, they also become heroes through these conversations. It's not just through actions, it's not just through killing monsters, but also by reaffirming their, uh, their, 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 their state in society. So uh, right now Telemachus is, is doubting and he is, um, yeah, he's, he, he's afraid. He doesn't quite know how he's going to do it. So he goes to Mentor. Mentor, in fact, I don't know if I mentioned it already in the last episode, but, but Mentor is Athena. And Mentor, uh, this is where we get the word mentor, mentoring, mentorship, mentees in English and in many other languages because a mentor in the Odyssey becomes a mentor. He becomes this guide, uh, this, this leader, this father figure to Telemachus and guides him through his journey. Uh, even though it's Athena, but we call him Mentor, Mentor because it's his name, and, and therefore we get the word. So he goes to Mentor as his true mentor and asks him uh, how, how, how is he going to do this? How, how is he going to be able to deal with Nestor? And we start in verse 14 with, with Athena who first spoke to him. Uh, quote, Telemachus, here is no more need at all of modesty. End quote. This is a complicated topic in the Odyssey and the Iliad. And in fact, when I, um, uh, a year ago or two years ago, I, I led a, a reading group, a reading, a book club, basically, about the Odyssey. And we were discussing this very same passage. And some of my friends were, um, were a little bit thrown back by the idea of modesty and humility with the heroes. And I think uh, in, our, in our society nowadays, uh, because of the Christian influence, uh, which whether you want it to be good or not, that is up to you. But we understand humility as a true virtue. And, and, it's, and it's actually a very important virtue. We, we try to be modest. Uh, it's, it's usually frowned upon in society if you are arrogant or if you try to show off too much. Um, but here, the heroes in the ancient world, the topic of humility is much more different. Uh, humility for them, it's, it's knowing your place in society. And if you are a hero, then you act like a hero. You don't act like a... Like a like a chicken. I mean, you just don't act like a commoner if you are if you're a hero. So the epic humility is in knowing that that you are not a god and that you cannot aspire to be immortal. Uh, that you are not a god. You got to know your place in the universe and act accordingly. But at the same time, you also got to recognize that you are a king. You are a hero. You're an amazing person, and therefore you cannot uh, lower yourself to the level of of of, of, of the of the wicked and or or the common people that are just they're just not not heroes and um but yeah but nowadays uh the christian idea would be that 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 you got you need to be humble and you need to uh you, you need you need to put the other cheek you need to you need to lie low and 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 really not not make a scene not um 
yeah, just not be proud. So pride is pride is a great defect. Nowadays, we see it as a, as a, as a great defect. But for them, they really know the difference between pride and being who you are. So that's why in the epic, uh, when you are a hero, you are allowed to be proud. But they wouldn't call it proud. They, they would just call it... Uh, they would just call it heroic. They would call it it's it's your it's your heroic stand. It's, it's not it's not a it's not a proud one. In fact, pride is is a is a is a tragic fault. The hubris, these 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 arrogance in in Greek, uh, which is which is usually translated. I mean, it can be seen as as a sin. Basically, it is it is a sin to to be arrogant. But it's arrogant in a different way. It's arrogant beyond what your capabilities. It's just you cannot fake who you are. You cannot you cannot paint yourself as much better than you are. But if you are good, then you've got to show that goodness because that goodness will be the source of your immortality as a hero through the fame that you will receive. So it is complicated to understand it, but I, I guess if you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, it, it kind of becomes more clear that it's not that they're not, they're not being proud as in, as in thinking super highly of themselves. In, in fact, I don't, I don't think they are. I think, I think they actually recognize their place in the universe. And, 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 and to us, it might seem like pride but in reality, it's it's just it's just their heroic nature, in my opinion. So here, so here, um, I think Athena, what he's trying to what he's trying to tell Telemachus is is saying, hey, do not act low, do not be, um, yeah, do not do not think lightly of, of yourself just because you're young and you this is the first time that you do it. No, 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 no. you gotta you gotta puff up your chest and and really really get out there and and be who you are because you are the son of Odysseus. You ought to act. Heroically, uh, aka, I mean, you could also say proudly, but but just don't be modest. Don't be, don't don't act like a, like a coward. Don't don't act like a like a person who doubts. No, no, no. There's no place for modesty here. Like you cannot be modest and and uh, and lukewarm. No, no, no. You gotta you gotta be magnanimous. You gotta be out there. You gotta be bold. And I I hope he, I hope I give you some ideas about this. Uh, it's really confusing, and it's it's actually hard to explain. But but well, hope. Uh, Hope that works. So, uh, in verses uh, 20, 22 and and onwards, uh, Telemachus answers uh, Athena, and we can really see the doubts that Telemachus is having in his heart. And he says, quote, Then the thoughtful Telemachus said to her in answer, Mentor, how shall I go up to him? How close with him? I have no experience in close discourse. There is embarrassment for a young man who must question his elder, end quote. So he's doubting, he's, he's realizing he's, so we could ask, okay, is he being humble or is he actually recognizing his place? He's probably actually recognizing his place. He's realizing, hey, I'm much younger, I have no experience, and this Nestor guy is just so famous, he's so heroic, and in fact, Nestor, as I will explain, well, I'll, I'll just explain right now. So Nestor, Nestor is a hero who's uh, known for his advice. So um, usually his epithets, he's a, he's a man who apparently, we are told in the Iliad, ruled over three generations of men, which means that he's very, very old. Um, and he's an expert in counsel. In the Iliad, he is he's particularly relevant in counseling uh, Agamemnon, the king of the Achaeans, of the, of the Greeks. And there's a very famous scene in, in Book 9 when Achilles is still very angry. He doesn't want to go fight. And then, and then three people, three heroes, including Odysseus and Nestor, they go talk to Achilles and try to convince him to get out there and fight. And we can really see Nestor's ability to speak. Nestor is a man who... 
uh, who's able to put peace among the heroes in the Iliad. Because in the Iliad, these heroes are constantly fighting for their honor, and Nestor is putting peace among them, especially between Agamemnon and, and Achilles. He's this intermediary uh, who knows what is just and is able to communicate it and really softly advise the people without getting them to be even more angry, which is the topic of the Iliad. So, um, so Nestor, Nestor is famous. It's, it's just it's simply famous for discourse. And Telemachus is doubting. Telemachus is, is, is saying, hey, I, there's embarrassment. I'm young. He's old. I cannot do this. I've never done this before. How will I do this? And then we get this amazing, beautiful passage. Uh, it's, it's just three lines long. When Athena, uh, basically mentor, but, but it's Athena. You can really tell that it's Athena who's talking to him, uh, is saying, quote, uh, then in turn, the gray-eyed goddess Athena answered him, Telemachus, some of it you yourself will see in your own heart, and some the divinity will put in your mind. I do not think you could have been born and reared without the God's will. End quote. This is wonderful. This is wonderful whether you're a believer in, in some sort of God or not. Uh, it's it's simply admirable uh, how transcendental this, these three lines are. How how Athena is saying, is saying, hey Telemachus, just trust in the gods. Trust in the gods. You could not have been born without the gods' will. Like everything that you do, everything good and evil that happens to you, it's the gods' will. And it's all a project for the good, for your own good. So he's saying, hey, the gods will help you a.k.a. I will help you. I will help you talk to Nestor. But, of course, he's not saying that. She's not saying that to Telemachus. But, uh, but he's trying to, to, to make him trust in the gods, which is the proper thing to do uh, um, for these believers. Even, even for the Greeks, it's, it's trust in the gods' will. Trust in, the, in that they will help you. And it's very interesting how, how uh, this relates to the Christian idea of grace, uh, where, where grace is this, is this help from God. Uh, in the most simple terms, is yeah, simply help from God, and how it builds on your natural abilities already. So we see how Athena is putting this contrast between the two elements in every single action of of humans. Uh, how some of it you will you yourself will see in your own heart. So some of it you already have it inside you. Some of it is your own, is your own abilities, your own talents, and the other. The gods will put it in there. So it's so it's your own ability plus the gods' help, and those two are what create every single action in the heroes, and and for every single person if you're a believer, um, um, or at least in the Christian idea. Uh, there, I, I'm actually not sure about other religions how they would talk about 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 God's help and whether it builds or not on your talents. But my guess is that it would, and it's quite fascinating that in this work. Of the 800 BC, we're already seeing these these contrasts between your own personal talents and the and the will of the gods, and how they they can build on it, and they can and they can help you. They can help you in your journeys. So this is this is a wonderful start for the book, and it really sets the tone for the for the entire um, for the entire book, where where we will see these humans acting, and then the gods being there in the midst. So we see Telemachus and Nestor, these humans in the palace conversing, and then these goddess that is that is among them, among them, and, and only at the end of the book uh, she will actually reveal herself by flying away in the shape of a vulture. Um, I think it's a vulture, yeah. So, 
Uh, but yeah, but jumping a little bit around. So basically, they feed them. Uh, there's some hospitality thing here, and we will talk about it later. But uh, but basically, it has come the time for Telemachus to address Nestor, and 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 l let me let me just read uh, for a bit. Quote. And this is 75. If you want to read along, quote. Then the thoughtful Telemachus said to him in answer, this is to Nestor, taking courage, for Athena herself had put that courage in his heart so that he might ask after his absent father and so that among people he might win a good reputation, end quote. And then, then he will actually start his speech. But already hearing these, um, these just, just three lines, just four lines, uh, we see uh, already already the elements about discourse. These, uh, as I was explaining earlier, how how this discourse, this this dialogue, is part of the heroic um, action. Like heroes need to be able to speak, and he's quite curious that he says that he's taking courage. That you need courage, and Athena puts this courage in his heart, in Telemachus's heart, because courage is not only in battle. This is so fascinating that that courage, this boldness, this this. Um, this valor is not only found in, in, in muscle, in, in physical exercise, in war, basically, in the Iliad. No, no, no. It can also be found in speech, in speech, in this, in dealing with the elders, even, even in public situations, even in social situations, social encounters, you can exercise courage. And this is, this is just quite interesting because it really differs from the Iliad. Um, the Odyssey is quite different from the Iliad. The Odyssey is not about war. It's about, it's about human encounters. It's about these journeys where you are encountering different peoples, both Odysseus and Telemachus, and you're interacting with them. And some people will be more human-like, uh, and others will not be quite human-like, and they will be not as hospitable, namely like Cyclops or Circe or Calypso. And so you're dealing with different people, and you're exercising all these, all these social virtues in the end. And one of them is, is talking to the elders. And here you also need courage. It's not just courage fighting a, a cyclops. It's not just courage fighting monsters. It is courage in speaking in public. Quite fascinating because the, the Odyssey is not quite about war but about human encounters it's, uh, because it is actually what builds the whole identity of manhood of what does it mean to be a man, to be that andra, that first word of the Odyssey. Uh, tell me, O muse, of the man of many ways. So... And uh, so, yeah, so he's taking courage. And then also, the, what is the purpose of this courage? Uh, one, quote, that he might ask after his absent father. And two, quote, so that among people, he, Telemachus, might win a good reputation. Quite interesting. And, and this quite agrees with, with what I was saying, that it is through speech that you can also win a good reputation. And reputation is crucial for the heroes because heroes are social, are social uh, humans, they they also need to be social. You cannot be a hero if you're alone in the mountains fighting the winds. I mean that that's not being a hero. A hero is the person who who deals with other human beings, and uh, and reputation is also an important dimension of their virtue, uh, because they need to be singed about. There needs to be epic poems about them. They need to be famous. If not, they're not heroes. So, uh, but also through speech, they can become famous. They can become heroes by dealing with one another. And within Telemachus' speech, we see other, other very important elements about, about um, Telemachus' um, state in this journey towards manliness, towards manhood. And um, let, me, let, let, me, let me read some passages. Uh, quote, this is verse 83. I follow, I, Telemachus, follow the wide fame of my father on the chance of hearing of the great patient-hearted Odysseus 
The man they say once fought beside you, beside you, Nestor, and helped sack the city of the Trojans. End quote. Um, so here we see Telemachus talking about his father, and he's he's also talking about his father as the as the patient-hearted. That's the epithet, this adjective that he uses for Odysseus, because this is truly Odysseus. Odysseus is the man who suffers, is the patient-hearted, is the the one who needs to be patient because he's suffering and he cannot get home, and that is his identity. Uh, the, the the epithets really describe uh, the the personality of the different characters. Uh, just as Penelope is oftentimes referred to as circumspect Penelope, this 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 woman that is thinking and it's just meditating Penelope, um, uh, but but yeah, so so he's talking about Odysseus, but most importantly, he is uh, he's he's speaking of Odysseus in third person, in third person plural. He says the man they say once fought beside you and helped sack the city of the Trojans, he's saying they say. Uh, this is indirect knowledge. He's, this really reminds us of book one of the Odyssey where, where Mentes, that's Athena, also in the shape of Mentes, not Mentor, but Mentes in book one, and, um, and asks uh, Odysseus, uh, sorry, asks Telemachus, and Telemachus is saying, he's saying well, uh, they say that indeed I am his because they, they say that indeed he is my father. That, that's, that's what he says. They say that I am his father. And then he says, but I for my part, I do not know because nobody knows truly who his father is. I think it goes more or less like that, if you can remember. In, so so he's, he's, uh, he's making this super indirect. It's, it's reminding us of that passage where he's talking about his father in a very foreign way, as in, hey, he's just so far from me. I haven't lived with him. So they say that he is this person. I, for my part, have no idea. I, I don't really know him. So we can really uh, identify ourselves with him in that we have not seen Odysseus either. Odysseus has not appeared in the book yet. We will not see him actually until book five of the Odyssey. And we just don't know. We just don't know who he is. And, and we just got to trust in this indirect knowledge of the fame of Odysseus, just like Telemachus does. And here he's just mentioning his mission. He's saying, hey, I'm following the wide fame of my father. B both, uh, I mean, in, in two dimensions, both primarily because he's just following his fame by going to the people that know about him, that that uh, thanks to whom Odysseus is famous, namely Nestor and Menelaus, his friends. And he's following, literally following uh, in this journey physically, he's going to the places where, where, he's, where Odysseus is famous so that he might learn about his father. But at the same time, in an abstract sphere, in, uh, secondarily, he's, he's also following in the white fame of his father, as in, as in trying to learn about the fame of his father and then follow it, and then, and then really follow his journey towards uh, this heroic uh, nature. He's trying to become a hero by imitating his father and by following the wide fame of his father. So quite curious, right? That he's, he's searching, that this is, again, the two dimensions of the journey of Telemachus. One, to learn about the actual fame of his father, and, well, and, and not just fame, but whether he's alive or not. And two, become like his father, to come, uh, to come into age and to, and to follow in his, in his footsteps. And and actually and actually achieve this heroic nature, and and also within his speech, we see him already already trying to get there. So not only did he have the courage and the help from from Athena to speak uh, wisely and to and to and to address Nestor in such a heroic way, but he's also talking about himself. Telemachus in verse 90, uh, 95, quote, his mother bore this man to be wretched. 
that uh, that's Odysseus. And then he says, "Do not soften it, because you pity me and are sorry for me, but fairly tell me all that your eyes have witnessed. I implore you, if ever noble Odysseus, my father." ever undertook any word or work and fulfilled it for you in the land of the Trojans where you, Achaeans, suffered, tell me these things from your memory and tell me the whole truth. End quote. Odysseus, uh, sorry, Telemachus is telling Nestor not to be soft on him. He's saying, please do not pity me. Don't be sorry. Tell me the truth. Do not soften the truth for me. If he's dead, tell me. And tell me straight up. Tell me everything you know. I don't care if, if it's sad. I really need to know. And so he's, he's ultimately saying, I am not a kid anymore. Do not soften it just because I'm 20 years old and, and I look like a kid. No, uh, don't soften it. I need to know I am a man now. I, I need to learn the truth and be able to face it, face it, uh, face it just right to the front, right there. And so he's actually becoming a man. He's, he's engaging in this speech, and he's also, he's also becoming this hero that's able to see the truth just as it is, no matter how hard it is. Um, a very, very beautiful speech indeed. And after after Telemachus' intervention, Nestor replies with his um yeah, with his long speech. Basically, he he's gonna talk about about um about Troy. He's gonna talk about the homecoming of the different people and the last time that he saw Odysseus, um, because that that's all he knows. He hasn't seen seen Odysseus in ten years uh, as well. And and he and he's gonna tell Telemachus, hey, he also uh, last time I saw him was in this island, and, and he was trying to get home. But just so you know, every single hero had a very harsh homecoming. Um, so, but overall, a very important comment is that in the speech um, from, from Nestor, we see a war portrayed in a very peculiar way. So, we see how, in the words that he uses, he uses the word sorrows, he uses the word evils, he uses the word uh, the, the sufferings, the, the miseries, the uh, the calamities of war. Uh, just like, I mean, in, in the very first line, quote, dear friend, since you remind me of sorrows which in that country we endured, we sons of the Achaeans, valiant forever, or all we endured in our ships or on the misty face of the water, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on, end quote. So, um, he he is portraying Nestor is portraying war in a different way from the Iliad. This is a different dynamic in Homer. This is truly a different work from the Iliad. The Odyssey is different, and oftentimes people say that the Odyssey is for children. Um, when you ask somebody who's read both, uh, which one does he prefer? Usually, you will encounter that the older uh, people will prefer the Iliad, and the younger people will prefer the Odyssey. At least in my experience, maybe I'm wrong, but I. I, I myself, I'm young, and I, and I actually prefer the Odyssey. And I, I don't know if when I become older, I will, I will prefer the Iliad. But, but I think in my experience, people tend to prefer the Iliad if they're older, and they tend to prefer the Odyssey if they're younger. And uh, oftentimes, the Odyssey gets, um, gets a different sort of press uh, than the Iliad. The Odyssey is portrayed as a, as a children's story. It's usually more, more childish. It's more adventurous. It's, it's a journey. It's more dynamic. It moves, it moves faster. There are monsters. It's, it's fast-paced. It's, it's, just, it's just fun. It's very fun. Well, the Iliad, for some people, it can feel like a brick. And this is what I said in the, I think, I think the first episode of this podcast when I mentioned whether you should read the Iliad or the Odyssey first. And I said, well, because it is true that if you read the Iliad, you might be uh, discouraged, perhaps, from reading the Odyssey because you will find it a little bit a little bit hard to read, a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit brick-like. Let's say um, it's more solemn. It's more, 
it's more slow, I guess. Uh, it's, it's it's hard to explain. I mean, we will have this would take longer to explain, but but yeah. But basically, the Odyssey is it's more it's, it's more childish in in some ways. But but then if you read it closely, you start encountering images. You start encountering elements that really put the Odyssey at times as a more mature work than the Iliad. So the Odyssey is events that happen after the Iliad. And maybe you need to read the Iliad, maybe not. I don't think you need to read the Iliad to understand the Odyssey that much. Uh, yeah, there, there's, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like it really depends that much on the Iliad because most of the things they, they tell you, they repeat them in the Odyssey. They are relevant. So, so it, is, it is to some extent a more mature work because it looks back at the Iliad with different eyes. It's able to comment on the Iliad, on the events of Troy, and look at them and say, and say hey, all that war was not good. And the Odyssey is filled with sadness and nostalgia. It's, it is war portrayed as an occasion for, for, uh, yeah, for, for courage and for fame and for becoming a hero. And that's great. But at the same time, it is, war is a place of suffering. It's a place of, of yes, of, 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 insane, of insane human actions that, that, that are unjust and that really corrupt your soul and they leave you marked for your entire life. And all these heroes, both Menelaus and Nestor and many others, they have not recovered. They have not recovered from the war. And that is precisely Odysseus. Odysseus' journey is not just, it's not just from Troy to Ithaca, but there is a, a spiritual journey, as I mentioned, where, where the, war, the war in Troy changed the hero and now he needs to get back to who he truly is. He needs to get back home uh, to his roots. That's why he doesn't stay with Calypso. That's, that's why he doesn't stay in Troy, even. That's why he doesn't give up. Because the war uh, changed him. They, it took away some, some things from his, from his heart. And now he needs to get it back. And it's not, it's not just a palace with, with four walls and a roof uh, or, or a family. It's, it's also who he is. It's, it's being a father. This war made him into a... Into a into a warrior, and all he wants is to, and now he wants to be a father, he wants to be a king again, not just a captain, but a king. Uh, so, so yeah, so the Odyssey is mature, it's looking back at the Iliad and saying, and it's saying, hey, war is noble, war is, um, it's, it's a great occasion for heroic actions, and, and they look back at it with nostalgia at times, saying, hey, how amazing all those actions were, uh, look at all my friends that fought there, and oh, that one fell, but wow, with so much honor indeed, but then also with great sadness, and they, and they look back, and, and it's sad, it's a sad reality, because, well, people, people have died, but you've also done horrible things, and, and it's a place of suffering, it's, war is a place of suffering, and uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no one, no one to, to talk about this uh, because I have not experienced the, 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 the reality of war. But I think, I think overall, uh, this this portrayal of war still remains today. So yeah, so he gives, so he gives the, this this speech about war with all these elements uh, criticizing war ultimately. Well, painting it as as a bittersweet reality, and uh, it also talks about Odysseus. And talks about one of the main characteristics of Odysseus for which he's particularly famous, namely his cunning, his stratagem. Uh, quote, this verse 120. Then there was no man who wanted to be set up in uh, for cunning against great Odysseus. He far surpassed them in every kind of stratagem. Your father, if truly you are his son, and wonder seizes me when I look on you. For surely your words are like his words. Nor would anyone ever have thought that a younger man could speak so like him. End quote. 
So here he's he's talking about Odysseus. He's trying to remember Odysseus. And he's talking about Troy, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, and in in the field of cunning and stratagem and and being smart, uh, your father was was the best." And then now that he just remembers his father, he's he's looking at Telemachus while speaking, and he's forced to say, "Oh, and how much you look like him, like you are indeed his son." Uh, like he he doesn't have great evidence. I mean, he he's like your father. If truly you are his son, because of course you can never be sure whether somebody. I mean, if, if, if the father is not there, I mean, if, if both of them cannot corroborate the truth, you, I mean, he's taking this on, he's trusting Telemachus that Telemachus is truly the son of, the son of Odysseus. And that, that is, at first, at the beginning of the speeches, right when he comes, he's like, oh yeah, I'm the son of Odysseus. Okay, great, I, I, I guess I'll have to trust you. But after he continues to speak and then takes a closer look at him, he's just convinced, like, wow, you're definitely the son of Odysseus. I feel like I'm looking at Odysseus right face to face right now even though you are his son because you so look like him and you talk like him and nobody else could do that except his true son and this already we saw in in book one of the odyssey if i remember correctly when mentis gets there and he's saying wow you really look like your father um and it's it's a very beautiful image because we haven't seen his father either and, and we also like to believe okay telemachus is taking on this this heroic nature of his father he's replicating it he's following on the fame on the footsteps of his father and he's becoming like odysseus and that's why they're so alike and and it's, it's just simply simply beautiful i i just love this i just love this when he's saying for surely your words are like his words nor anyone ever have thought that a younger man could speak so like him when i look on you it's 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 wonderful really wonderful how um how Nestor is, is feeling this nostalgia for Odysseus. He also misses Odysseus. Sometimes we can lose sight of this fact and we can focus on, oh, Telemachus and Penelope are the only sad ones about Odysseus because, well, of course, the wife and the son, they really miss him. Uh, but also his friends. They're, they're, a hero has friends. If you don't have friends, you're not a hero. And, and his friends also miss him. And they see Telemachus and they are filled with nostalgia and they, and they, they feel like they're talking to, to Odysseus face to face and they, and they are comforted in that. And yeah, and so so the, so many things happen in this um, in this speech from from Nestor, and he also explains about the homecoming of every single hero and how every single one had a very hard homecoming because, as we saw in the first page of the Odyssey, they uh, they sacked the sacred citadel of Troy. Uh, they, they they basically committed a, a crime. The Greeks and now they all need to pay because they because they they uh, they committed a sacrilege basically. And Athena got really mad at them, so then they. Uh, so then Athena punished them on their homecoming by giving them a lot of storms and making their homecoming uh, quite harsh. And they also, we also have a, a preface to, to Menelaus' journey because Menelaus, uh, Nestor will mention that Menelaus, uh, I mean, I think he dedicates like four lines to Menelaus and he's saying, hey, Menelaus had a particularly hard homecoming. This is exactly what happened to him uh, in very brief terms though. Because then in book four, if you've read it already, uh, we will see how Menelaus will tell the story of his homecoming, and it will actually become like a mini odyssey. It's a replica. Uh, it's, a, it's a replica of the, of the of the odyssey of the journey of of, of Odysseus, and because he had a, a quite a hard homecoming. So, uh, so many things happening in this in this, um, in this in this speech from Nestor, and one of them as well is that we see once again the story of Aegisthus, of of Clytemnestra, Agamemnon, and Orestes, which just to recap, basically Agamemnon, king. Uh, of the Greeks, fights in Troy, was married to a woman named uh, Clytemnestra who stayed back in, in, in his town in Argos. And then she was courted by this man uh, named Aegisthus, 
who actually was able to, 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 yeah, to make her fall in love. And then when, when Agamemnon comes back, they both kill Agamemnon. Uh, so this is a suitor who is able to enchant um, Clytemnestra, the supposed faithful wife. And then they, they kill Agamemnon upon his homecoming. Just like it could have happened. It could happen to Odysseus when he comes back. If Penelope falls in love with someone else. And then they kill Odysseus. And and it's a, it's a great crime. But then Orestes, the son of Clytemnestra and Agamemnon, will avenge his father by killing Aegisthus and also his own mother, Clytemnestra. And Orestes would be this figure of Telemachus. Agamemnon, the figure of Odysseus. And Clytemnestra, the figure of Penelope. And the suitors would be Aegisthus. Uh, hope that makes sense. That was a little a little too quick. But here we see once again, I think we've already seen it twice in the whole Odyssey, uh, right now in we're only book three, mentions of the of the story of, of Agamemnon. Because it's just it's just exactly parallel to the Odyssey. And here Menester is gonna talk about it, but with a, but in each ins, in in each instance we see the story crafted in a different way so as to put the focus on a different character. Sometimes the focus is on Clytemnestra, uh, so as to advise Penelope. Sometimes the focus is on Agamemnon, so as to advise Odysseus. Sometimes the focus right now in these first books is on Orestes, so as to talk to Telemachus, so as to give advice to Telemachus, because he needs to be like Orestes and take ownership of his responsibility over his household and justice in his home. And, and yeah, let me read a little bit. Uh, quote, this is verse 192. Quote, the sea took none of these men. You yourselves, though you live apart, have heard of Atreides. Atreides, Atreides means the son of, At- of Atreus, who is Agamemnon. Um, that's Agamemnon. How he came home and how Aegisthus devised his wretched death, for Aegisthus too paid for it in a dismal fashion. So it is good, when a man has perished, to have a son left after him, since this one took vengeance on his father's killer the treacherous Aegisthus, who cut down his glorious father. So you too, dear friend, Telemachus, for I see you are tall and splendid. Be brave too, so that men unborn may speak well of you. End quote. And that's the end of his speech. And he's saying, after explaining all about Troy, uh, all about all about Odysseus, the homecoming of the different heroes, he's saying, and hey, uh, by the way, in case you didn't hear about this story, what happened to our dear friend Agamemnon, uh, he was uh, he was slaughtered by his own wife and a suitor. So, um, but thankfully he had a son left behind, uh, called Orestes, who was able to avenge his father. So it is good it is good to have a son to avenge you, and you are that son. So you better be careful because if this happens, you gotta take ownership uh, of the action and and really avenge it with justice. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we just see the story again, um, just just so, so that so you, you keep it in mind. But yeah, but yeah, but basically the, the, the dialogue continues a little bit, and then um, Nestor starts making these promises about, well, well, he, he starts trying to give a lot of hope to, to Telemachus in verse 210 to, to 224, where he's, where, he's, where he's talking about Odysseus and how, hey, uh, quote, for example, um, for I never saw the gods showing such open affection as Pallas Athena, the way she stood beside him openly, beside, beside, uh, beside Odysseus, and he's, he's talking about the marvels of Odysseus, how, how he was so protected by the gods that, that well, for sure he must be okay. Um, yeah, he will probably come back and, and punish the people, and, and, and it's, it's all, it's all going to be fine. Uh, like, like you've got to be willing to fight as well. But then, but then we see uh, Telemachus in this very brief, very brief, um, very brief monologue, very brief, uh, yeah, uh, speech, where he, where he is lacking this faith in the gods he's lacking this this hope 
and he is thinking um thinking think, thinking too lightly of himself he's thinking himself too lightly and he's he's doubting he's he's almost being modest but at the same time realizing the challenge that that Nestor is putting forth in front of him and not being and and lacking the courage to to embrace it uh quote this is 225 then the thoughtful Telemachus said to him in answer old sir i think that what you have said will not be accomplished what you mean is too big it bewilders me that which i hope for could never happen to me not even if the gods so willed it End quote. he is in complete despair uh and he i i, I don't know if this would be impolite I, I think i think that what he's saying here it's I mean, it's wrong. It's wrong, as we will see that Athena corrects him right after. Uh, but it, but he's simply wrong, and it's, it's almost impolite. He's saying, saying to these old to these older man who's much wiser. He's telling him, "Hey, what you're telling is just there's no way, and he's also too big for me. I'm I'm not ready." He's again falling back to his state at the beginning of book three, where he is lacking the courage. So Athena uh, rebukes him, and uh, in verse 229, quote, "Now in turn the great-eyed." goddess athena spoke to him telemachus what sort of word escaped your teeth's barrier lightly a god if he wishes can save a man even from far off i myself would rather first have gone through many hardships and then come home and look upon my day of returning than come home and be killed at my own hearth as agamemnon was killed by the treacherous plot of his wife and by Aegisthus. But death is a thing that comes to all alike. Not even the gods can fend it away from a man they love, when once the destructive doom of leveling death has fastened upon him. End quote. Basically, I mean, I, the way I like to imagine this is, is Athena speaking quite severely against Telemachus by saying, hey, uh, hey, man, like I already told you at the beginning of the book, you got to trust in the gods. Like you could not have been born without the gods' will. And so too, um, lightly, a god can lightly, like without any effort, he can save a man, even from far off, even from far away. Even if he's completely lost, even if the goddess is completely far from him, he can still save him with a snap of a finger. Um, so if, if the god wishes. So it's, it's so curious. He's saying, tell him, you don't learn this? I mean, hey, the gods can save him, okay? You trust in the gods. He, she keeps repeating this over and over. And then adds a different, uh, another little passage where, where she's saying, hey, I would rather suffer a lot of hardships and get home uh, than than be killed at my own home, like Agamemnon. She's saying, it's better to suffer all the pains in the world than to suffer treason and unfaithfulness from your wife and the people that love you than to be killed at your own home. It is much better to suffer all these journeys, all these, all these pains and, and destruction um, all throughout the, the Mediterranean than to see your wife betray you and be killed in your own, in your own bedroom, um, which is... Which is fascinating because also the Odyssey is all about suffering. It's all about embracing suffering, um, but of course there is a suffering that is that is much worse than others. I mean, the suffering of seeing your your wife betray you and slaughter you in your bed uh, with a knife. I mean that's that's just horrible. It's horrible compared to to just the supreme torture of your of of all your days by traveling. It's, this is. This is very interesting because suffering is so crucial to the Odyssey that we're also able to see different levels of suffering. Uh, but overall, here we see uh, Athena emphasizing the need for trust in the gods. The gods are crucial, crucial 
for the heroes and they need to trust in them. And even after, after this, this, this rebuttal from, uh, from Athena, uh, Telemachus still has no hope. Uh, verse 240, quote, Mentor, though we sorrow, let us speak no more of these things. His homecoming is no longer a real thing, but already the immortal gods must have contrived his death and black doom. End quote. It's incredible how this man is, how Telemachus is still not trusting in the gods. I mean, book one, Mentis, who was Athena, comes to him, comforts him, makes him the promise that Odysseus will come back, and then flies away in the shape of a god. And Telemachus is like, okay, okay, clearly uh, this was a goddess or a god, and, and, and okay, I should probably trust, trust uh, Mentis' words because it was not Mentis, it was a god. Uh, but then falls back into the state of despair. Um, and again, once again, he's not realizing that Mentor might be a goddess, that, that all these prophecies might be true, and that he's being yelled at for not trusting in the gods, and he's still not learning the lesson. It's, uh, it's quite incredible, but at the same time, we've we got to be sympathetic with him. I mean, um, 20 years without seeing your father, you, you usually lose hope in these, in these situations. I, uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't want to think too highly of myself. I, I think, I think there's a pretty hard situation. You haven't seen your father. People are, are, are eating up your, rich, your riches. Uh, your mother is suffering. You have no idea what to do. Uh, you're young. You've, you haven't had a father to, to, to educate you. And you hear all these things, but, but deep inside you, I mean, it, and even no matter how explicit all these prophecies might be, um, when something has been settled in your heart for 20 years, it's, it's pretty hard to, to, to change that. But oh well, but, but, just, but just in case, <laughs> just in case Telemachus is, is still going to be despairing, uh, in verse 371, we see, well, basically Athena flies away again, like in book one, in the shape of a vulture. So, so Athena, Athena finishes by, by giving a, a final speech of, um, of comfort for, for Telemachus. And then, and then, quote, 371, So speaking, gray-eyed Athena went away in the likeness of a vulture, and amazement seized on all the Achaeans. And the old man was amazed at what his eyes saw. He took Telemachus by the hand and spoke a word to him and named him. This is Nestor. Dear friend, I have no thought that you will turn out mean and cowardly if, when you are so young, the gods go with you and guide you thus. Here was no other of those who have their homes on Olympus, but the very daughter of Zeus, most honored Tritogenia, who always among the Argives favored your noble father. This is just a different name for Athena, uh, end quote. But it's, it's, he's saying, he's saying, Hey, wow, I, I just, even at my old age, like, he's still amazed at this sight. He's seeing wonderful things. Nestor is, a, is, a, is an amazing hero. He's seeing incredible things in Troy and all throughout his life. And even still at this age, he's seeing another admirable event. Uh, well, to be delighted, that, uh, to be honored that a goddess has, has, come, has come visit him at his palace and has seen her fly away in the shape of a vulture. And, and he turns to Delmegas and he's saying, Dude, even more so, you should be trusting right now. Like, if, if you're so young and still Athena is already taking care of you like she took care of Odysseus, like, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. It's just, it's a very hopeful, hopeful book, honestly, this one. And we really encounter uh, the, the beauty of, of, of a god in the midst, of a, of a goddess in the midst of humans and, and, so, and, and, and just, and just uh, planting this hope in the, in the hearts of the people. And only the people that are more wise, like Nestor, is able to see it 
um, to see it more clearly than Telemachus, who has been suffering so much that it is hard for him to to realize all these all these all these plain truths that he's encountering. And now, now we're going to move on to the topic of hospitality. We already saw this in book one, where where Mentes, this stranger, comes into the into Telemachus's palace now because Odysseus is gone, and uh, and Telemachus takes care of him. Um, but uh, we, we already talked about hospitality. What does that mean for the heroes? How how it is crucial in the in these uh, in this culture in the culture of the heroes? Um, sorry, of of archaic uh, of the archaic Greece. Uh, hospitality they're traveling around and they're taking care of people especially because they, they also believed that um that maybe that maybe a, a god might be the one who's visiting you so you really need to take, need to take care of them and is this form of friendship is this this uh this taking care of strangers um and yeah this these uh this this hospitality is it's just su- such a beautiful virtue such a beautiful virtue and that and that it is it's, it's quite relevant especially in primitive cultures i, I don't know if we have uh, hospitality if we think that hospitality is as relevant today as it would have been in a culture where people travel much more and they actually need shelter uh and they 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 would come knocking at your door a complete stranger and and, and ask for for the for 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 kindness from you and uh, for some service and we oftentimes see this in medieval ages in the ancient world in just not quite our age i think i think hospitality uh is more relevant in more primitive cultures, in my in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I think I think the, this is probably true. I think it's probably I'm not sure, but but yeah, just just food of thought for you. And but basically, we see this hospitality. And and a very interesting uh, thing is that when they arrive to uh, to Pylos to this to the beach, the first person who goes to them, it is not is not a servant. It is not uh, is not Nestor himself, but rather is the son of Nestor. His name is Pisistratus, and this uh, this scene uh, quite reminds us of of Telemachus himself in Book One of the Odyssey, where where uh, it is not Odysseus who goes out because Odysseus is not there to to meet Mentes, but rather is Telemachus is the son, and also so too now we're seeing Pisistratus, the son of Nestor, who's coming to them, and and actually uh, takes them by the hands and seats them at the feast and. And covers them in rugs and, and gives them drinks and and really takes care of them. So this is a son who is more or less the same age as Telemachus, um, and he's taking care of them. Uh, quite quite beautiful. Uh, so yeah, so the, so the, the image of hospitality is, is all over the place, and and a very important topic is, is well, and a very important uh, element is how hospitality is tied up to reputation, and also how hospitality is tied up to uh, to the education of your children. Because as we see in verse 288, Nestor, well, this is the moment when, when after all the feasting and all the conversation, uh, Athena, well, Mentor and Telemachus are saying, well, I guess we'll just go back to our ships and sleep uh, with our crew. And then Nestor, Nestor says this, I mean, I found this very beautiful. Uh, sorry, I, I got the verses wrong. It's actually verse 352. And it says, quote, um, no, no, in my house, the dear son of Odysseus shall not have to go to sleep on the deck of a ship as long as I am alive and my sons after me are left in my palace to entertain our guests, whoever comes to my household, end quote. He's saying, no, 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 <laughs> you're not going to sleep. You're not going to sleep on your boat, uh, not while I am alive and while my sons are still in my palace, like not like as long as my family remains, as long as my as my lineage remains. Such an honorable person, like the son of Odysseus, will never ever sleep in a, in a on on a on a boat. I will we will actually host them, and 
so he's very interesting okay so he's recognizing the honor and he's being hospitable to and, and especially kind to to telemachus in quality uh, because he's the son of, of odysseus but at the same time he's saying hey this is also this is also my legacy part of, of the legacy of a hero as we mentioned is the is the children how the children will perpetrate your your heroic nature and will, will repeat your actions will, will give you even more fame and by making them be heroes by educating them well they will they will keep a, a great uh, heroic level in your in your lineage and and then and this is what happens to this is what happens right here he's saying hey i will die but my children will still be doing this or they better do it if not i'm going to curse them real bad real bad because because this is what this is what is good and i want my children to do exactly the same thing um so qu quite quite formidable right this hospitality is a virtue and then these heroes want these virtues to be passed along to their children and and repeated and uh, uh, through the generations to come and and actually actually these um this very brief scene uh, ties ties the whole topic of hospitality with the topic of brotherhood of filiation and fatherhood in the odyssey because we as, as i mentioned before these mentors and well mentor himself mentees nestor menelaus all these leaders that are guiding telemachus even athena himself uh, athena herself they are father figures they're they're, they're these godfathers these mentors to to telemachus and actually like nestor becomes like like his godfather you can really see, i mean if i if you would not be surprised if homer tells you oh nestor is the uncle of Telemachus, none of the action would have to change. I mean, I think it's already beautiful. It's already very gentle and kind to him, and and treats him like another son. That's why that's why he could even be his uncle, and, and we wouldn't be surprised. But uh, so a, a beautiful image that is very subtle is in verse two hundred and twenty-five and three hundred and twenty-six. Uh, we see how how uh, Nestor is addressing his children, and um, and basically Telemachus is sitting with the children of Nestor. So, uh, so how Telemachus is there among it's just one more among the sons of, of of Nestor. Uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful image. I mean, may, maybe maybe it's not that big of a deal, but but he's just one of them. He's one of them as well. He's also the son of Nestor in in some ways, in many ways actually, and and actually because he takes care of him so much, uh, Nestor decides that in his journey to to Menelaus's palace to Sparta, because they will go by land, that they will go on a on a, on, a, on a chariot, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, he uh, Nestor uh, sends his son Pisistratus with with uh, with Telemachus on this journey. Pisistratus, same age as Telemachus, more or less, and this is a very relevant uh, move in the part of Nestor, and this is actually quite revealing to the topics of the Odyssey because it relates quite nicely with the topics of fatherhood, um, which is so crucial. I mean, <laughs> Tele uh, Telemachus. Uh, needs a father and these father figures to become a man and Odysseus needs to become a father in order to become who he truly is uh, how to become a man and a part of his part of his manhood is, is is to be a father and he's lost that quality in as much as he's gone from home so so right now we see uh, it's, it's, it's quite a complicated image but but let's see let's see if we can break it down so um, in seeing that that Telemachus looks so much like Odysseus uh, I think it is it is quite natural that Nestor wants his son to go with Telemachus. Now, why would Nestor want Pisistratus to go with Telemachus? I think these are the two reasons, right? Number one is that Telemachus is so much like like uh, like Odysseus that that he sees um, he sees this this journey with Telemachus an opportunity to learn from Telemachus. It's an opportunity for Pisistratus to learn 
from Odysseus, basically, because Odysseus is lives within Telemachus, and it, it, I think it's I think it's also part of the of the heroic journey for Pisistratus to learn from as from such a great man as Telemachus, who looks and speaks and acts like Odysseus, and it's also so well protected by the gods. So sending him with with um, with Telemachus is similar to sending him with the gods' will. It's just. It's just it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity, and also at the same time because Pisistratus himself needs a journey and he needs needs to needs to embark in this journey as well uh, towards manliness. He also needs to needs to needs to go leave home and 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 also develop his 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 potencies. And even number three, another reason, uh, Pisistratus will help Telemachus not only in protecting him or in but also in giving company and, and apart from giving company he will be an exemplary image for Telemachus and this is crucial because they are same age and they're exactly this is like Orestes and Telemachus well now it's Pisistratus and Telemachus they are parallels but different uh, in, in essentially because Nestor is home and Odysseus is not home so Pisistratus grew up with a father uh, among him, um, 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 yeah, um, um, among among his family, and he was able to learn from his father, and and that's what Telemachus did not have. So Telemachus, we will uh, Telemachus will learn from Pisistratus because seeing Pisistratus act is seeing how he ought to have been if Odysseus had been home. It's a uh, it's it's a little complicated, but I think I think it makes total sense. And and so there are all these reasons why Pisistratus and Telemachus ought to be traveling together. And, and finally, another another wonderful reason is that is that thanks to this journey, Pisistratus and Telemachus will develop a friendship, a friendship uh, which is so crucial to the journey of a hero. A hero needs to have friends, and in sending Pisistratus, um, he is helping both Pisistratus in having a friend as Telemachus, and Telemachus as well in having a friend like Pisistratus, because it is also part of the journey towards maturity. It's it's part of their manliness to have friends, part of their heroic nature and identity, and who he, who they ought to become. So yeah, so so this is this is this is a wonderful wonderful image. In fact, we will not get that uh, that big of a chance later on to to see Basistratus in action that much. I mean, he will speak with Menelaus once they go visit this other king, um, but uh, but we will not see uh, that much of a friendship. I mean, that, that much of a. I mean, the, the relationship will not be developed that much in the Odyssey because it's just simply not the not the subject matter of the book, and they cannot spare that many pages in in so many side uh, side side stories. Which, but uh, but this is open for your imagination, and and I think it's I think it's quite rich and quite enlightening for for what it what it means to be a man, and and also what it means to be a hero, because uh, even even for ourselves as a lesson for nowadays and and the role of friendship in our lives, uh, and also to understand the whole Odyssey, how how all these elements. Um, Albeit subtle, they, they're still present all over all over the story, and they're repeating it themselves, and they're they're coming up, and they're really crafting this amazing epic poem that is teaching us um, all these realities about about the human life. And this concludes our discussion of Book Three of the Odyssey. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, feel free to go back and reread the passages and or or the whole book. Uh, I think it would take you 15 minutes after you read it for the first time. The second time it could take you 15 minutes. Uh, you can you can enjoy it quite a lot. So um, so yeah. So keep thinking about these these topics. Um, watch out because Menelaus's encounter will be quite uh, will be very similar to Nestor's. Uh, that's book four, sorry, um, Menelaus's, because it's again Telemachus going to to visit another king who also knew Odysseus and was friends with him, but it will be uh, very different as in as in the situation at Menelaus's palace will be very different from Nestor's situation, but but yeah, but keep all these themes in mind, 
uh, when reading and and try try to figure them out on your own. I, I hope you're you're learning a lot and that you're enjoying it. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much.